part seven of yellowstone national park six early pieces by various this librivox recording is in the public domain part seven yellowstone national park part two we soon approached another of the many geysers in the basin they are all different around one a number of colored blocks exquisitely decorated by the geysers waves appeared to have been placed artistically in an oblong frame when i first beheld them they looked like huge sea monsters which startled by our footsteps were about to plunge into the depths what is there in the natural world so fascinating and mysterious as a geyser what for example is the depth of its intensely colored pool of boiling water no one can tell one thing however is certain the surface of the pool is but the summit of a liquid column its base is in a subterranean reservoir into that reservoir there flows a volume of cold water furnished by the rain or snow or by infiltration from some lake or river meantime the walls of the deep reservoir are heated by volcanic fire accordingly the water in contact with these walls soon begins to boil and a great mass of steam collects above it there must of course be some escape for this and finally it makes its exit hurling the boiling water to a height of one or two hundred feet according to the force of the explosion imagine then the amount of water that even one such reservoir contains for some of these volcanic fountains play for more than half an hour before their contents are discharged think also that in this basin there are no less than thirty geysers seventeen of which have been observed in action simultaneously thus far we have seen merely geysers which arise from pools but presently we approached one which in the course of ages has built up for itself a cone or funnel for its scalding waves that said our guide is the castle geyser it looks like an old ruin without a single indication of activity save possibly the little cloud of steam that hangs above it as if it were the breath of some mysterious monster sleeping far below if you doubt it he replied go nearer and examine it we did so i scrambled up its flinty sides and found an opening in the summit three feet wide i touched the rock it was still warm and yet no water was discernible no sound was audible within its depths if this be really a geyser i remarked it is no doubt a lifeless one like liberty cap my comrade smiled looked at his watch then at his notebook and finally replied wait half an hour and see accordingly we lingered on the massive ledges of the castle geyser and learned that it is the largest probably the oldest of all the active geyser cones within the park once its eruptions were no doubt stupendous but now its power is waning the gradual closing up of its huge throat and the increasing substitution of steam for water prove that the monster has now entered on the final stage of its career for here as on the terraces we are surrounded by specimens of life decay and death the young the middle-aged the old the dead they are all here the fiery agitation of the pool and the impulsive spurts of water are indicative of youth a steady splendid outburst proves maturity the feebler action of the castle shows the waning powers of old age last of all comes the closed cone like a sealed sarcophagus and that is death meantime the thirty minutes of expectancy had passed 
and suddenly with a tremendous rush of steam the castle proved that its resources were by no means exhausted at the same instant half a mile away the beehive geyser threw into the air a shaft of dazzling spray fully two hundred feet in height i realized then as never before the noble action of our government in giving this incomparable region to the people if this had not been done the selfishness and greed of man would have made a tour here almost unbearable a fence would doubtless have been built around every geyser and fees would have been charged to witness each wonderful phenomenon whereas to-day thanks to the generosity of congress the park itself and everything that it contains are absolutely free to all rich and poor native and foreigner forever consecrated to the education and delight of man but no enumeration of the geysers would be complete without a mention of the special favorite of tourists old faithful the opening through which this miracle of nature springs is at the summit of a beautifully ornamented mound which is itself a page in nature's wonder book the lines upon its wrinkled face tell of a past whose secrets still remain a mystery it hints of an antiquity so vast that one contemplates it with bated breath for this entire slope has been built up atom after atom through unnumbered ages during which time no doubt the geyser hour by hour has faithfully performed its part without an eye to note its splendour or a voice to tell its glory to the world old faithful does not owe its popularity entirely to height or beauty though it possesses both it is beloved for its fidelity whatever irregularities other geysers show old faithful never fails year in year out winter and summer day and night in cold and heat in sunshine and in storm old faithful every seventy minutes sends up its silvery cascade to the height of about one hundred and eighty feet of all the geysers known to man this is the most reliable and perfect station yourself before it watch in hand and punctual to the moment it will never disappoint you few realize on how large a scale the forces of nature work here at each eruption old faithful pours forth about one million five hundred thousand gallons or more than thirty-three million gallons in one day this geyser alone therefore could easily supply with water a city the size of boston within this area of active geysers is a place called hell's half acre it is rightly named rough perpendicular ledges project over a monstrous gulf of unknown depth from which great clouds of steam are constantly emerging when the wind draws back for a moment a portion of this sulphur-laden curtain the visitor perceives a lake below seething and boiling from internal heat for years no one suspected this to be a geyser but suddenly in eighteen eighty one the underlying force hurled the entire lake up bodily to the height of two hundred and fifty feet and even repeated frequently after some months the exhibition ceased and all was calm again for seven years in eighteen eighty eight however it once more burst forth with prodigious energy ejecting at each explosion more boiling water than all the other geysers in the park combined even the surrounding ledges could not withstand this terrible upheaval and tons of rock were sometimes thrown up with the water more than two hundred feet it is not strange therefore that this is called excelsior the king of geysers 
it is the most tremendous awe-inspiring fountain in the world when it will be again aroused no one can tell its interval would seem to be from seven to ten years said an enthusiastic traveller to me if the excelsior ever plays again i will gladly travel three thousand miles to see it i have a vivid remembrance of my last night at the upper basin the hush of evening hallowed it alone and undisturbed we looked upon a scene unequalled in the world around us liquid columns rose and fell with ceaseless regularity the cooler air of evening made many shafts of vapour visible which in the glare of day had vanished unperceived so perfect were their images in the adjoining stream that it was easy to believe the veil had been at last withdrawn and that the hidden source of all this wonderful display had been revealed no sound from them was audible no breeze disturbed their steadfast flight toward heaven and in the deepening twilight the slender white-robed column seems like the ghost of geysers long since dead revisiting the scene of their activity but geysers do not constitute the only marvels of these volcanic basins the beauty of their pools of boiling water is almost inconceivable to those who have not seen them no illustration can do them justice for no photographer can adequately reproduce their clear transparent depths nor can an artist's brush ever quite portray their peculiar colouring due to the minerals held in solution or else deposited upon their sides i can deliberately say however that some of the most exquisitely beautiful objects i have ever seen in any portion of the world are the superbly tinted cauldrons of the yellowstone their hues are infinitely varied many are blue some green some golden and some wine-coloured in all gradations of tone and could we soar aloft and take of them a bird's-eye view the glittering basin might seem to us a silver shield studded with rubies emeralds turquoises and sapphires moreover these miniature lakes are lined with exquisite ornamentation one sees in them with absolute distinctness a reproduction of the loveliest forms that he has ever found in floral or in vegetable life gardens of mushrooms banks of goldenrod or clusters of asparagus appear to be growing here created by the architect and coloured by the artist of these mineral springs the most renowned of all these reservoirs of colour is called the emerald pool painters from this and other lands have tried repeatedly to depict this faithfully upon canvas but finally have left it in despair in fact its colouring is so intense that as the bubbles rising to its surface lift from this bowl their rounded forms and pause a second in the air before they break they are still just as richly tinted as the flood beneath accordingly this pool appeared to me like a colossal casket filled with emeralds which spirit hands from time to time drew gently upward from its jewelled depths close by this is another boiling pool called the sunlight lake on this i saw one of the most marvellous phenomena i have ever looked upon the colours of this tiny sheet of water appeared not only in concentric circles like the rings of a tree but also in the order of the spectrum the outer band was crimson and then the unbroken sequence came red orange yellow green blue and violet in the centre 
moreover the very steam arising from it reflecting as it did the varied tints beneath was exquisitely coloured and vanished into air like a dissolving rainbow all these prismatic pools are clasped by beautifully decorated curbs of silica and seem to be set in rings of gold with mineral colours running through them like enamel so delicate are the touches of the magic water as the persistent heartbeats of old mother earth propel it over their ornamental rims that every ripple leaves its tiny mark hence it is no exaggeration but literal truth to say that beautiful mosaic work is being formed each time the films of boiling water are dimpled by the passing breeze the great variety of wonders in our national park was a continual source of pleasure and surprise to me thus in the midst of all the pools and geysers in the upper basin is one known as the mammoth paint-pot the earth surrounding it is cracked and blistered by heat and from this rises a parapet five feet high enclosing a space resembling a circus ring within this area is a mixture of soft clay and boiling water suggesting an enormous cauldron of hot mush this bubbling slime is almost as diversely tinted as the pools themselves it seemed to me that i was looking into a huge vat where unseen painters were engaged in mixing colours the fact is easily explained the mineral ingredients of the volcanic soil produce these different hues in a new form it is the same old story of the mammoth terraces fire supplies the pigments and hot water uses them all other features of the park are solemn and impressive but the mammoth paint-pot provokes a smile there is no grandeur here it seems a burlesque on volcanic power the steam which oozes through the plastic mass tosses its substance into curious lilliputian shapes which rise and break like bubbles a mirthful demon seems to be engaged in moulding grotesque images in clay which turn a somersault and then fall back to vanish in the seething depths now it will be a flower then a face then possibly a mannequin resembling toys for children meanwhile one hears constantly a low accompaniment of groanings hiccups and expectorations as if the aforesaid demon found this pudding difficult to digest soon after leaving the upper geyser basin we approached a tiny lake which has in some respects no equal in the world with the exception of some isolated mountain peaks it marks the highest portion of our country in winter therefore when encircled by mounds of snow it rests upon the summit of our continent like a crown of sapphire set with pearls so evenly is it balanced that when it overflows one part of it descends to the atlantic another part to the pacific this little streamlet therefore is a silver thread connecting two great oceans three thousand miles apart accordingly one might easily fancy that every drop in this pure mountain reservoir possessed a separate individuality and that a passing breeze or falling leaf might decide its destiny propelling it with gentle force into a current which should lead it eastward to be silvered by the dawn or westward to be gilded by the setting sun on either side of this elevation known as the continental divide the view was glorious in one direction an ocean of dark pines rolled westward in enormous billows the silver surfaces of several lakes gleamed here and there like whitecaps on the rolling waves 
far off upon the verge of the horizon fifty miles away three snow-capped sharply pointed mountains looked like a group of icebergs drifting from the polar sea they did not move however nor will they move while this old earth shall last they antedate by ages the pyramids which they resemble they will be standing thus in majesty when egypt's royal sepulchres shall have returned to dust forever anchored there those three resplendent peaks rise fourteen thousand feet above the sea and form the grand tiara of our continent the loftiest summits of the rocky mountains as we began the descent from this great elevation another splendid vision greeted us we gazed upon it with delight beyond a vast expanse of dark green pines we saw three hundred feet below us lake yellowstone it stirred my heart to look at last upon this famous inland sea nearly eight thousand feet above the ocean level and to realize that if the white mountain monarch washington were planted in its depths its base line on a level with the sea there would remain two thousand feet of space between its summit and the surface of this lake in this respect it has but one real rival lake titicaca in the andes of peru descending to the shore however we found that even here so far from shipyards and the sea a steamboat was awaiting us imagine the labor of conveying such a vessel sixty-five miles from the railroad to this lake up an ascent of more than three thousand feet of course it was brought in several sections but even then in one or two mountain gorges the cliffs had to be blasted away to make room for it to pass it is needless to add that this steamer has no rivals it was with the greatest interest that i sailed at such a height on this adventurous craft and the next time that i stand upon the summit of mount washington and see the fleecy clouds float in the empyrean one-third of a mile above me i shall remember that the steamer on lake yellowstone sails at precisely the same altitude as that enjoyed by those sun-tinted galleons of the sky to appreciate the beauty of lake yellowstone one should behold it when its waves are radiant with the sunset glow it is however not only beautiful it is mysterious around it in the distance rise silver-crested peaks whose melting snow descends to it in ice-cold streams still nearer we behold a girdle of gigantic forests rarely if ever trodden by the foot of man oh the loneliness of this great lake for eight long months scarcely a human eye beholds it the wintry storms that sweep its surface find no boats on which to vent their fury lake yellowstone has never mirrored in itself even the frail canoes of painted savages the only keels that ever furrow it are those of its solitary steamer and some little fishing boats engaged by tourists even these lead a very brief existence like summer insects they will float here a few weeks and disappear leaving the winds and waves to their will in sailing on this lake i observed a distant mountain whose summit bore a strange resemblance to an upturned human face sculptured in bold relief against the sky it is appropriately called the sleeping giant for it has slept on undisturbed while countless centuries have dropped into the gulf of time like leaves in the adjoining forest how many nights have cast their shadows like a veil upon that giant's silhouette how many dawns have flooded it with light and found those changeless features still confronting them 
we call it human in appearance and yet that profile was the same before the first man ever trod this planet grim awful model of the coming race did not its stern lips smile disdainfully at the first human pygmy fashioned in its likeness this lake has one peculiarity which in the minds of certain tourists eclipses all the rest i mean its possibilities for fishing we know that sad experience has taught mankind to invent the proverb once a fisherman always a liar i wish then at the start to say that i am no fisherman but what i saw here would inevitably make me one if i should remain a month or two upon these shores lake yellowstone is the fisherman's paradise said one of isaac walton's followers to me i would rather be an angler here than an angel nor is this strange i saw two men catch from this lake in one hour more than a hundred splendid trout weighing from one to three pounds apiece they worked with incredible rapidity scarcely did the fly touch the water when the line was drawn the light rod dipped with graceful curve and the revolving reel drew in the speckled beauty to the shore each of these anglers had two hooks upon his line and both of them once had two trout hooked at the same time and landed them while we poor eastern visitors at first looked on in dumb amazement and then enthusiastically cheered can the reader bear something still more trying to his faith emerging from the lake is a little cone containing a boiling pool entirely distinct from the surrounding water i saw a fisherman stand on this and catch a trout which without moving from his place or even unhooking the fish he dropped into the boiling pool and cooked when the first scientific explorers of this region were urging upon congress the necessity of making it a national park their statements in regard to fishing were usually received with courteous incredulity but when one of their number gravely declared that trout could there be caught and boiled in the same lake within a radius of fifteen feet the house of representatives broke forth into roars of laughter and thought the man a monumental liar we cannot be surprised therefore that enthusiastic fishermen almost go crazy here i have seen men after a ride of forty miles rush off to fish without a moment's rest as if their lives depended on it some years ago general wade hampton visited the park and came as far as lake yellowstone on his return some one inquired what he thought of nature's masterpiece the canyon of the yellowstone the canyon cried the general no matter about the canyon but i had the most magnificent fishing i ever saw in my life one day while walking along the shore my comrade suddenly pressed my arm and pointed toward the lake an indian i cried in great astonishment i thought no indians ever came here our guide laughed heartily and as he did so i perceived my error what i had thought to be an indian was but a portion of a tree which had been placed upright against a log the only artificial thing about it was a bunch of feathers everything else was absolutely natural no knife had sculptured it no hand had given a support to its uplifted arm even the dog which followed us appeared deceived for he barked furiously at the strange intruder there was to me a singular fascination in this solitary freak of nature and surrounded though i was by immeasurably greater wonders i turned again and again to take a farewell look at this dark slender figure raising its hand as if in threatening gesture to some unseen foe 
leaving the lake we presently entered the loveliest portion of the park a level sheltered area of some fifty square miles to which has been given the appropriate name of hayden valley in commemoration of the distinguished geologist dr ferdinand v hayden who did so much to explore this region and to impress upon the government the necessity of preserving its incomparable natural features even this tranquil portion of the park is undermined by just such fiery forces as are elsewhere visible but which here manifest themselves in different ways thus in the midst of this natural beauty is a horrible object known as the mud geyser we crawled up a steep bank and shudderingly gazed over it into the crater forty feet below us the earth yawned open like a cavernous mouth from which a long black throat some six feet in diameter extended to an unknown depth this throat was filled with boiling mud which rose and fell in nauseating gulps as if some monster were strangling from a slimy paste which all its efforts could not possibly dislodge occasionally the sickening mixture would sink from view as if the tortured wretch had swallowed it then we could hear hundreds of feet below unearthly retching and in a moment it would all come up again belched out with an explosive force that hurled a boiling spray of mud so high that we rushed down the slope a single drop of it would have burned like molten lead five minutes of this was enough and even now when i reflect that every moment day and night the same regurgitation of black slime is going on i feel as i have often felt when on a stormy night at sea i have tried to sit through a coarse dinner on an ocean steamer not far from this perpetually active object is one that has been motionless for ages a granite boulder enclosed by trees as by the bars of a gigantic cage it is a proof that glaciers once ploughed through this region and it was no doubt brought hither in the glacial period on a flood of ice which melting in this heated basin left its burden a grim reminder of how worlds are made think what a combination of terrific forces must have been at work here when the volcanoes were in full activity and when the mass of ice which then encased our northern world strove to enclose this prison-house of fire within its glacial arms one of our party remarked that the covering of this seething boiling area with ice must have been the nearest approach to hell's freezing over that our earth has ever seen another striking feature of our national park is its petrified forest where scattered over a large area are solitary columns which once were trunks of trees but now are solid shafts of agate the substance of the wood however is still apparent the bark the wormholes and even the rings of growth being distinctly visible but every fibre has been petrified by the mysterious substitution of a mineral deposit no doubt these trees were once submerged in a strong mineral solution tinted with every colour of the rainbow still more marvellous to relate an excavation on the hillside proves that there are eleven layers of such forests one above another divided by as many cushions of lava think of the ages represented here during which all these different forests grew and were successively turned to stone this therefore is another illustration of the conflict between life and death each was in turn a victor and rested on its laurels for unnumbered centuries 
life is triumphant now but who shall say that death may not again prove conqueror if not immediately death may well be patient he will rule all this planet in the end no one can travel through the yellowstone park without imagining how it looks in winter the snowfall is enormous some drifts in the ravines being hundreds of feet deep and owing to the increased supply of water the geysers throw higher streams no travelling is possible then except on snowshoes and it is with difficulty that some of the park hotels are reached as late as the middle of may of course in such a frigid atmosphere the steam arising from the geysers is almost instantly congealed and eyewitnesses affirm that in a temperature of forty degrees below zero the clouds of vapour sent up by old faithful rose fully two thousand feet and were seen ten miles away it can be well imagined that to do much exploration here in winter is not alone immensely difficult but dangerous in eighteen eighty seven an expedition was formed headed by lieutenant frederick schwatka but though he was experienced as an arctic traveller in three days he advanced only twenty miles and finally gave out completely most of the exploring party turned back with him but four kept heroically on one of whom was the photographer mr f j haynes of st paul undismayed by schwatzka's failure he and his comrades bravely persisted in their undertaking for thirty days the mercury never rose higher than ten degrees below zero once it marked fifty-two degrees below yet these men were obliged to camp out every night and carry on their shoulders provisions sleeping-bags and photographic instruments but finally they triumphed over every obstacle having in midwinter made a tour of two hundred miles through the park nevertheless they almost lost their lives in the attempt at one point ten thousand feet above the sea a fearful blizzard overtook them the cold and wind seemed unendurable even for an hour but they endured them for three days a sharp sleet cut their faces like a rain of needles and made it perilous to look ahead almost dead from sheer exhaustion they were unable to lie down for fear of freezing chilled to the bone they could make no fire and although fainting they had not a mouthful for seventy-two hours what a terrific chapter for any man to add to the mysterious volume we call life one might suppose by this time that all the marvels of our national park had been described but on the contrary so far is it from being true that i have yet to mention the most stupendous of them all the world-renowned canyon of the yellowstone the introduction to this is sublime it is a waterfall the height of which is more than twice as great as that of niagara to understand the reason for the presence of such a cataract we should remember that the entire region for miles was once a geyser basin the river was then near the surface and has been cutting down the walls of the canyon ever since the volcanic soil decomposed by heat could not resist the constant action of the water only a granite bluff at the upper end of the canyon has held firm and over that the baffled stream now leaps to wreak its vengeance on the weaker foe beneath through a colossal gateway of vast height yet only seventy feet in breadth falls the entire volume of the yellowstone river it seems enraged at being suddenly compressed into that narrow space 
for with a roar of anger and defiance and without an instant's hesitation it leaps into the yawning gulf in one great flood of dazzling foam when looked upon from a little distance a clasp of emerald apparently surmounts it from which descends a spotless robe of ermine nearly four hundred feet in length the lower portion is concealed by clouds of mist which vainly try to climb the surrounding cliffs like ghosts of submerged mountains striving to escape from their eternal prison we ask ourselves instinctively what gives this river its tremendous impetus and causes it to fill the air with diamond-tinted spray and send up to the cliffs a ceaseless roar which echoes and re-echoes down the canyon how awe-inspiring seems the answer to this question when we think upon it seriously the subtle force which draws this torrent down is the same power which holds the planets in their courses retains the comets in their fearful paths and guides the movements of the stellar universe what is this power we call it gravitation but why does it invariably act thus with mathematical precision who knows behind all such phenomena there is a mystery that none can solve this cataract has a voice if we could understand it perhaps we could distinguish after all but one word god as for the gorge through which this river flows imagine if you can a yawning chasm ten miles long and fifteen hundred feet in depth peer into it and see if you can find the river yes there it lies one thousand five hundred feet below a winding path of emerald and alabaster dividing the huge canyon walls seen from the summit it hardly seems to move but in reality it rages like a captive lion springing at its bars scarcely a sound of its fierce fury reaches us yet could we stand beside it a quarter of a mile below its voice would drown our loudest shouts to one another attracted to this river innumerable little streams are trickling down the colored cliffs they are cascades of boiling water emerging from the awful reservoir of heat which underlies this laboratory of the infinite one of them is a geyser the liquid shaft of which is scarcely visible yet in reality is one hundred and fifty feet in height from all these hot additions to its waves the temperature of the river even a mile or two beyond the canyon is twenty degrees higher than at its entrance are there not other canyons in the world as large as this it may be asked yes but none like this for see instead of sullen granite walls these sides are radiant with color age after age and eon after eon hot water has been spreading over these miles of masonry its variegated sediment like pigments on an artist's palette here for example is an expanse of yellow one thousand feet in height mingled with this are areas of red resembling jasper beside these is a field of lavender five hundred feet in length and soft in hue as the down upon a pigeon's breast no shade is wanting here except the blue and god replaces that it is supplied by the overspreading canopy of heaven yet there is no monotony in these hues nature apparently has passed along this canyon touching the rocks capriciously now staining an entire cliff as red as blood now tinging a light pinnacle with green now spreading over the whole face of a mountain a vast persian rug hence both sides of the canyon present successive miles of oriental tapestry 
moreover every passing cloud works here almost a miracle for all the lights and shades that follow one another down this gorge vary its tints as if by magic and make of it one long kaleidoscope of changing colour nor are these cliffs less wonderful in form than colour the substance of their tinted rocks is delicate the rain has therefore ploughed their faces with a million furrows the wind has carved them like a sculptor's chisel the lightning's bolts have splintered them until mile after mile they rise in a bewildering variety of architectural forms old castles frown above the maddened stream a thousand times more grand than any ruins on the rhine their towers are five hundred feet in height turrets and battlements portcullises and drawbridges rise from the deep ravine sublime and inaccessible yet they are still a thousand feet below us what would be the effect could we survey them from the stream itself within the gloomy crevice of the canyon only their size convinces us that they are works of nature not of art upon their spires we see a score of eagles nests the splendid birds leave these at times and swoop down toward the stream not in one mighty plunge but gracefully in slow majestic curves lower and lower till we can follow them only through a field-glass as they alight on trees which look to us like shrubs but many of these forms are grander than any castles in one place is an amphitheatre within its curving arms a hundred thousand people could be seated its foreground is the emerald river its drop curtain the radiant canyon wall cathedrals too are here with spires twice as high as those which soar above the minster of cologne fantastic gargoyles stretch out from the parapets a hundred flying buttresses connect them with the mountain-side from any one of them as many shafts shoot heavenward as statues rise from the duomo of milan and each of these great canyon shrines instead of stained-glass windows has walls roof dome and pinnacles one mass of variegated colour the awful grandeur of these temples sculptured by the deity is overpowering we feel that we must worship here it is a place where the finite prays the infinite hears and immensity looks on two visions of this world stand out within my memory which though entirely different i can place side by side in equal rank they are the himalayas of india and the grand canyon of the yellowstone on neither of them is there any sign of human life no voice disturbs their solemn stillness the only sound upon earth's loftiest mountains is the thunder of the avalanche the only voice within this canyon is the roar of its magnificent cascade it is well that man must halt upon the borders of this awful chasm it is no place for man the infinite allows him to stand trembling on the brink look down and listen spellbound to the anthem of its mighty cataract but beyond this he may not cannot go it is as if almighty god had kept for his own use one part of his creation that man might merely gaze upon it worship and retire end of part seven